creeds and criticism meet. of Reference Podcast. And welcome back to the Split Frame of Reference Podcast. I'm Nick. I'm Allison. And today we got some fun stuff going on. We have our usual updates, of course. We have our drinks that we are currently drinking, which is I'm going to do right now. We have the books we've been reading and gender myths. And we have a special guest coming up next time. Uh, the one and only Dr. Michael Bird is going to be talking to us about Jesus and gender in the Gospels. So uh, we can We're going to go a little out of order, yep. um, and we figured we would do a bonus episode before uh, we get into the meat of our our series. Technically, he's in the future, like almost 20 hours ahead of us, so mm. it's kind of hard to pin down times with him. So, But he has agreed to be on, and we're looking forward to having him on to talk about our Savior and our Savior's view of women. And so, Allison, what are your updates? My updates. <laughs> um, it seems like there's a lot more that's happened. Um, probably because I may have captured a stray cat at mm. my at my work. Oh, yeah. And brought it home. My um, old coworker lent me his cat trap, <laughs> and so there's a there was this very cute orange striped cat that mm-hmm. was. Um, walking around the parking lot. All sad and mopey. Yeah, he looked really sad. And I thought he needed a friend. And then one day I saw his paw or his um, leg was cut. And so I was like, oh, I need to take him to the vet. So I trapped him. Um, Well, first I fed him a couple times. And then I trapped him. Then you put him in a big metal container. Yeah, he wasn't happy. No, he wasn't. Um, But (laughs) got him neutered and some attention. And then we just kept him. Um, For a while he was in our bathroom. and. Yep. King of the bathroom, if you want to see that, look on Allison's Instagram. Yeah. There are photos of this terrified cat with a cone of shame on his head. Oh, man. Oh, gosh. But yes, we got him here. We were just happy when he would allow us to use the shower in the bathroom. Yep. We didn't even press our luck using the actual toilet. We were lucky to We'd be able go to downstairs for yep. a while. Yep. We would walk out and go out into a different building to use the restroom because we were terrified of what he would do to us. <laughs> Um, but over time, um, he came to tolerate us, um, mm-hmm. significantly He's better. living, he's living under our couch right now. Yeah. So if I suddenly yell, it's because he's reached, he's under the couch and sometimes he likes to, um, reach under and grab my pant leg mm-hmm. with his paw or like reach out and touch my foot. Yep. He's done that to me multiple times and I've screamed like a little girl and run away. <laughs> uh, what is his name? Uh, Barkley. Why did we name him Barkley? Uh, Nick named him before I even caught him. So I'm sure there's an election connection there somewhere. <laughs> Predestined before the caging of the world, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but Nick named <laughs> yeah, him after I, a favorite theologian. New Testament scholar, yes. So that was a lot of fun. He's uh, He's been running around at night. He's been scratching all our things, uh, throwing up every once in a while because he's a weird cat. Uh, he licks himself all the time. Then he gets hairballs. Yes, wonderful big hairballs. But he's become very interesting. He's eaten from our hands. We fed him hand to hand, you know, and all and that sort of thing. And he sniffed my toe. Yep, and he sniffed my hand. It didn't bite, which was really nice. So yes, we have a cat. So he's not a biter. He's a lover. 
Well. He likes to hiss a lot because he's scared and he just wants to maintain boundaries, which I understand. Yes, yes, yes. So, yes, he is lots of fun and he's currently under our couch right now. And, uh, pray oh. that. Hmm? Yeah, so I forgot too. Um, and I got accepted to the University of Aberdeen. Woohoo! So, I will be, um, finishing my PhD there. Yep. You're taking a THM from Fuller, right? That's what I'm planning on. I think I need to add something like 12 pages to a paper I've already written. So, Okay, nice. And so uh, I got myself a new job. I'm working at McDonald's. It is wonderful. I'm making so much more money than I originally was. No, I got a, I got a job as an associate pastor at First Baptist Church of Redlands. And it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. I've been there for... Now coming on two weeks as of the day of recording this. So yeah, there's that. That's kind of a big life change. Yeah, we really miss St. Barnabas. Uh, we were going to Black Episcopalian Church for quite a while. About three years yeah. while I was at Fuller, yeah. Um, so uh, a little heartbreaking, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like being ripped away from close family. Family you want to be around. Yeah. I shouldn't have. I mean, the formative years is just kind of how it feels for me. yeah. Uh, but it's a good church uh, family that we've moved um, over to, and yeah, it's it's wonderful. It's been yeah, just it really is. it's been a delight, and so there's that. And I got a book deal. I'm gonna let that sit for a second. I got a book deal. I did not expect that. So backstory about thirty seconds. Uh, I got on the internet the morning after I turned in my final paper to Mary and my Thompson, and I was official down with seminary. And so I was like, well, I've got nothing to do. I drove you to work, I think, and so I was holed mm -hmm. up in a coffee shop for four or five hours. I'm going to write a book proposal and send it to Whippenstock, because they'll never accept That's it. That's classic Nick, by the way. Yep. And so I sent it off and forgot about it. And then three months later, approximately about a month ago, I get a response from uh, the associate editor, I believe, saying, we want it. I uh, felt the contract. And I'm just like, Okay. There's like a INFP, INXJ difference there. I <laughs> Careful planning okay, where do I need to maneuver to get to this, like, end? Mm -hmm. And he just kind of flies by the seat of his pants. Basically, and yeah. But very hard worker and very highly motivated. And, yeah, you know what? I've got some time to kill at the coffee shop. I'm just going to write a book proposal. Yep. 20-page book book proposal with all this sort of stuff. And I have to think about it for a while yeah. before I do that. And so, yeah, I submitted <laughs> it, and they said yes. And now I'm writing a book on Christian perfection. So all my Wesleyan and... Arminian and holiness friends out there that's uh, something I want to keep an eye on I'm about a chapter and a half done with it already so yeah lots of fun so that is what our updates are Allison what are you drinking all right I am not drinking a beer nor trying the one that Nick tried to trick me into trying earlier instead I am drinking some uh I guess fresh orange juice from Redlands yep Gerard's, uh, I forget if it, it's Gerard's. I don't know what the actual title, if it's Gerard's Market or something. Yeah, but it feels like this has just been freshly squeezed from oranges. Like five minutes yeah. ago, kind of squeezed. Yeah. Yeah, and from someone's tree. That's yep. what it tastes like. And I put some orange liqueur. Patron <laughs> orange liqueur, yes. So, and it worked out. Nice. I am drinking the brewery, and this is French, so I'm going to not get it right. Teru Ngongo. I think that's what it is. It's basically a saison with... New Zealand, wildflower, honey, lemon balm, and chamomile added. So basically it's a sour with a bunch of funk. It is very lemony, very tea-fermented Cambodia almost, mm. and uh, not sweet at all and really bitter and dry at the end. For a minute I was like, oh, I should try it. No, no, no. I shouldn't. No, 
since you've been drinking sweet things, sweet things right there, it will not work with this. Okay, good. I'm it's glad very, to hear you say sour. that. It's very sour. It will destroy your taste buds. Good. Thank you, Nick. Mm-hmm. Always looking out for you. All right. So, books. What have you been reading? Um, several things. Um, <laughs> one of which, since I'm a nerd, I'm going to do a shout out um, to, to you guys. Um, see if any of you guys know of any other resources. Um, I'm basically comparing natural kinds and objective types. So if you know of any resources relating to gender on this, Nick's rolling his eyes, but please send them my way. I'd be ever so happy. I just read social categories are natural kinds, not objective types, and why it matters politically. Um, so I'm looking for that. I thought I would hijack the book corner <laughs> to say that. But in all seriousness, um, I've been reading... I've been really loving uh, Spiritual Friendship by Wesley Hill. Mm. Um, it's a great book. Um, he comes from the perspective of someone who's committed to celibacy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also a gay Christian. Um, but I think his, I found his work just widely applicable overall. And I think the art of having very close, deep, meaningful friendships um, has been kind of lost. And I mean, a lot of people, I think, in our culture in the U.S. especially, are extremely... Uh, fragmented and we have a very individualistic culture which isn't always bad but on the downside um, I think well and part of our topic today um, we tend to put all of our eggs in the basket of romantic relationships rather than having it more distributed over close-knit communities Mm -hmm. and friendships Um, but I mean I've had really close like wonderful friends um, for so many years Mm. Um, so I am definitely not one of those people that, uh, I guess, think in terms of, I, I, I guess you sh- I, I should say I value my friendships very highly. Yeah. And I have a very close friend that's been my friend since first grade, Sarah <laughs> Wilfong, um, and uh, several others, David Sidebotham, yep. has been a long-term friend and close, I think one of the closest to mine, um, and yours mm-hmm. too. Um, yeah, he was the best man at my wedding, or one of them. Yeah, I was a little jealous, but like, well, I have two other, I guess, maids of honor, uh, so he could be your best man, I suppose. Uh, it wasn't my best man. He was groomsman. Is that what the term? I, he I was never, your best man. He was my best man. Yeah, best man or groomsman. I best always get man. okay. I always get those two mixed up. I don't know why. Anyway, yes, David was my best man. Yeah, and the other one I'm reading too, um, more kind of when I'm stuck places such as work, and have a 15 minute break or. There's a meeting, and there's two minutes before. I'm like, quick, read. Um, I'm reading The Moral Vision of the New Testament by Richard Hayes, and I mm. am loving it. I'm probably on page 299, I guess 300 now. Nice. So we'll get there. Yeah. I, uh, I've i also been reading some stuff by Wesley Hill. He's got a really good book on Paul and the Trinity. I've been reading that for my research. And basically any book that's been written on Christian perfection or entire sanctification, I've been reading this past probably two weeks. I just started rereading. Joel Green's uh, Body, Soul, and Human Mm. Life, which is kind of a theological New Testament exegesis with a bit of science and neuroscience and history thrown in, arguing for a monistic or physicalist view of the human person, which plays a big part in my my proposal to Wittfenstock, the book. And so, yeah, it's kind of a mini Pauline theology, and so I've been reading basically every book on Paul's Christology and anthropology I can get my hands on, and disagreeing with so much of it and loving it. So, yeah. Those are those are basically what I've been reading. So, uh, all right. So now on to the myths, gender myths. Oh no! And actually, we could go forever on gender myths, really. Yeah, uh, we could. But 
we're going to um, limit it um, this t in you know by scope uh, this time to more friendship oriented stuff. Hmm. Um, and it's not at all influenced by Wesley Hill. Yeah, no, not a not even close. No, um, no, no. no. <laughs> I mean, we've been wanting to do this for a while. We yeah. we talk about this all the time and. Some of it, too, um, I'll, I'll just say this, um, Nick and I's, I shouldn't have to say this, but Nick and I's marriage is just fine. Yes. Um, we are not talking about gender myths and expanding the circle of closeness to other people because we are unfulfilled. Correct. Yes. Or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, yeah, I think it's, I think friendship is a lost art. Yes, I think so, too. So how about before we launch into these three myths, Nick, um, how, where, where do you come from in terms of close friendships like what has been your experience well my experience with close friends is i've had i suppose two or three main best friends since since i was about 13 or maybe even before then i've had them david sidebotham has been one pretty consistently since undergrad but uh my friend college Gra undergrad yeah college undergrad um also with uh, a friend of mine graham i knew his family since i was like probably 10 or 12 and we've recently reconnected which has been a, a huge blessing um most of my serious friends I found I, I found an undergrad like Trevor buddy of mine who lives in Georgia uh, and all and a lot of other people most of them I met in undergrad uh, which was a really formative time for me uh, and so and you met me yep met you in undergrad as well and yeah a lot of a lot of friends kind of when I left the house and lived on campus for about three and a half years you're kind of forced to be friends with people <laughs> and so uh, it was a period of that was very formative for me spiritually and uh and personally, where I got to meet people that are very weird and very different mm -hmm. and became, you know, some of the groomsmen and best men in my wedding. So, yeah, friendship for me goes back a, a long way. And I'm the kind of person that doesn't have 50 friends. I've got maybe five to seven. Because the idea, I mean, I, I would have 50 if I could. But just I'm very particular with who I'm friendshiply intimate with. Is that the, is that the right phrase? Sure, why not? Yeah, friendship, <laughs> friendshiply intimate. And so I'm very particular with who I'm like that with. I could be that way with, you know, hundreds of people, um, but I just haven't met the kind of people that I would be that way with. So I've gotten that. Uh, so that's my kind of view of friendship or uh, my history with friends. Yeah, for me, it's more of a continuum. Hmm. Um, I, I'll say this. Yeah, so I, one of my close friends I mentioned earlier, Sarah, Sarah um, and actually, Melissa, I met in first grade. I asked, want to be cats? Okay. <laughs> and that's, that's what started this whole thing. Of course it did. And cats. to this day, if I were to send either of them either a picture, a piece of jewelry, anything with the colors blue, purple, and pink in it, that would mean something very significant to each one of them. And it would automatically connect them to our longstanding friendship. Yeah. Or we each, you know, picked colors growing up. Um, we were like also, we, we kind of imagined ourselves as like Power Ranger superhero-esque, I don't know, individuals that were sometimes cats. Mm, yes. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and we liked to, uh, the three of us liked to like wrestle and fight on the grass field. That was our thing. And throw sand at boys. I remember you oh, talking about Oh, poor Chris. Yeah. Throw uh, sand. My arch rival from elementary. Well, no, he was not my arch rival. He was um, friends with the enemy. Oh, yes. But he so was, he deserved it. Yes. He deserved it. He did. Um, he, him and I are actually friends now. Yeah, he's, he's, he's good. We're good friends with Chris. He has since, um, gotten over the whole throwing sand in his eyes. sand, kicking while he's down, saying no. terrible things about his mom. <laughs> kick him while he's down. Yeah, kick him while he's down, yeah. Um, yes. 
anyway. with nunchucks and stuff like no, that. No, I didn't. You can't he, disprove Chris, that. Okay, in all reality, Chris could probably kill me. He probably Chris could. has a military background. This is true. Um, Chris, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I've had a lot of really close friends. Uh, Jessica McGarity, um, Sarah Abbott, uh, Nikki Schultz. Just so many. I can't, like, stop. Um, David Sidebotham. I call him, like, probably three or four times a week. Going, I'm bored. I'm on my 15-minute break. Entertain me. <laughs> yeah, because I'm usually in a meeting now, so I don't get calls yeah. anymore. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, we miss him. Mm-hmm. Gosh. But anyway, so uh, for me, um, friendship, um, I retain them for very long periods of time. Um, I. It's not that everyone I meet will become a, quote, friend. Or, I mean, I guess you could have, like, loose categories of friends, too. But depending on... I don't know, just for me, I really like individuals and people, and I generally um, just stick around. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm kind of easy. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 you treat friends like cats. You don't throw them away. Oh. Yeah. Well, hmm. I let them filter themselves out sometimes. Let's ah. put it that way. All right. So myth number one, uh, sexual love or marriage is the highest form of love. Why is that a myth, Allison? Nine. Um, <laughs> why is it a myth? Um, well, let's first like explore that kind of mentality first. Like, mm-hmm. what is it that we mean when we say um, that sexual love or marriage is the highest form of love? I think, I mean, in our cult- broader culture, they've elevated sex to be this like this is ha- so. For instance, you know, guy meets girl, they're gonna have sex probably if it's a movie. Yep. You know what I mean? If there's any sort of like remote affection they have for each other, they're going to have sex. Yep. Or even if, like, I don't know, even if they hate each other, but they have some sort of connection, they're going to have sex. Oh my gosh, you like beer. Sex. I know, right? Yeah. Um, It's just that the man, woman, you know, like each other remotely, must have sex. Um, Or maybe sexual love is lurking in the background somewhere. Hiding under the couch. I don't know. Yeah, um, Grabbing at their legs with its claws. Yeah. Yeah. Barkley be nice. Um, Barkley's our cat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think in the evangelical church, oftentimes, I mean, in a sense, we kind of go along with this myth, but we make it into marriage. Yep. So marriage is the highest form of love. Yeah. There was this running joke at Biola. I forget what it. There's what, a man. <laughs> there's a man eating the lion, at least on the campus. It starved to death. Yes. Uh, the other one was people go to Biola to get their, what is it, their MS degree or something oh. like that? Mer- yeah. And so, I mean, every guy I knew was in the Bible program or in the film program. All they wanted to do was get married. Why? So they could have sex. And so, Well, it's more me that would get those, like, stupid comments. Oh, and yeah. I would just look at them blankly and then just <laughs> watch them trip over themselves and apologize. I just, like, stare them down. Because mm-hmm. you're not allowed to be, well, you're not allowed to be offended, so you just have to, like, play with it. So and I would just kind of blank look. Because, you know, I'm not upset, but I'm not acknowledging it, but I'm looking right at them. Yeah, so like... Just psych them out. Yeah. And so, at, at Biola, there was a sense in which you get married so you can have sex. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of, you trip over yourselves, you I'm find... not speaking for everyone. No, but that was really... the general kind of culture, at least in, among my friends and people okay. I knew on my floor. And so... If, if you wanted to have a good relationship, i.e. have sex, you had to get married. And so I know... That was not the sentiment among the women. No, it's, I'm, I lived on a guy floor. That's what all they talked about. Mm. And so, uh, and there was this weird prevailing notion that 
uh, marriage would solve their problems, that marriage would mm. uh, make them better people, marriage would... Uh, Women too, yeah. for that, yeah. Yeah, and th that marriage would do all these sorts of things, when all it really does is highlight the problems you have that you need to work on, because now you're living together and have to deal with each other 24-7. And there was an interesting sense of that, and so... And I think some of that is. I think some of that is true. It's the absolutist way it's phrased. Right. Exactly. Because I think I actually think friendships are quite transformative, um, mm. especially if you're not going. In, if you're going in, um, seeing the other person as another person. Right. And I think there's a lot of give and take, and just things that are required within a relationship period, especially as you get yeah. closer to another person, and are actually having um, personal needs met by the other person. Or not met. Or not met. Yeah. And, yeah, that's true. You know, what are you going to do? Um, hmm. I haven't heard from my good friend, fill in the blank, for a month straight. Or they've gone AWOL. You know, am I yeah. going to... And, and I'm going through a rough time. Am I going to suddenly uh, abandon them next time? Am mm -hmm. I going to just drop them? Am I going to let them um, just float away? You know, am I going to... Maybe later they need something... Hmm. Uh, from me um, am I going to help them out so why do you think marriage is the quote the highest form of love what what is what is it about many sections or let's say the cultural mentality because mm -hmm. not everyone buys into it obviously but let's say what is, what's in the cultural water that ev that everyone just kind of imbibes that what that makes this kind of a reality for many people I just tend to think it's because we're so fragmented personally right. um, and especially as people are constantly moving around more as well and not keeping in touch per se which has not been the case with us with technology right um i have friends all over the country that i'll just call hmm. um and it's not that no it's not the same as being face to face but frankly i can have hours and hours long conversation um with people i there was this guy i met um <laughs> i okay through another friend um i was at biola and uh he him and i were martial art well Andrew and I were martial art buddies, and he had another friend, that Ryan, that he was debating with. Um, Ryan is an atheist, and I would, I'm going to call him a Richard Dawkins clone back then. Sorry, Ryan, if you're listening to this. Um, and Andrew got frustrated. He's like, here, Allison, you talk to him. So Ryan and I, you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, yeah. nonstop. Um, Ryan's also, if you're following Myers-Briggs, probably an ENTJ type. And, um, but we hit it off. Like we just kept going. And to this day, we, um, periodically will call each other up and randomly talk, um, whether it's debating or not. Um, hmm. so all this to say, it doesn't have to be so fragmented. Um, but I think really we, we are kind of separated, um, by moving around more and, um, it's not like we're, mo we're living in these small little communities, um, since we were young hmm. and getting rooted somewhere. Uh, so I think that's part of it. And technology comes with that. Um, also, it depends on job availability. Right. And I, I think, too, is 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 a lot of th this this cultural water that we kind of, you know, sip at without realizing what we're taking in. There's a sense in which marriage is the impetus or the barrier to sex. And so you get marriage, once you break down marriage, you get to go have sex, which is, uh, I think a lot of Christians have imbibed at the culture of for evangelicals. Uh, for evangelicals. And frankly, yeah. though, we don't really, as evangelicals, 
we don't really follow it. No. Um, which is also another thing. This is true. And so, it, but still, sex is still held up as this sort of thing that, you know, gets preached from the pulpit, how wonderful it is. Uh, if the pastor's a certain way, look how hot my wife is in a sexually mm. charged way, and all these sorts of things. Usually a guy saying that. I've never heard a woman say, look how hot my husband is. Although is I complain? <laughs> no, I'd start laughing. That'd be kind of funny. Um, but in the sense that marriage, if you boil it down for many people, marriage is the is the wall keeping you from getting to the promised land, which is sex. And so marriage is cheapened or kind of sacrificed at the altar of personal pleasure. And when people kind of scale the wall, hop into the promised land, they realize there's landmines and there's all these sorts of things going on. And they recognize, I think, very quickly and sometimes with catastrophic results, that marriage, the wall they hop to get somewhere is the very thing that they're meant to scale slowly with other people, you know, as a community, as people mm-hmm. uh, imbibing together and recognizing what's going on. And so I think the myth, by and large, is that uh, marriage, one, will solve your problems, which is not true. Marriage highlights problems if you're immature. And forces you to deal with the reality of, of which your is problems. a good thing because yeah. then you have more things to sort through that, and you can yep. actually get closer to another person that way. Yeah, um, and you can talk to your pastor, you can talk to your parents or their parents. Hopefully, you get good advice. Not always, but but, but it, that's it, where the community comes in exactly. too. It was never supposed to just be you and this um, person. You have this mystical. I think maybe. <laughs> Maybe there's some mysticism attached to it. This Hmm. idea that you, quote, fall in love with someone. Yeah. You know, and it's just kind of also, I I think we're stuck in this infatuation phase as well as a culture where that's what's prized um, because you feel something so strongly and, you know, you can't eat, you can't sleep, you're constantly thinking about them and obsessing. And I just, that's not meant to be forever and so i think part of it is we're kind of drunk off of the experience and so we don't really i think even i think we don't really even see people for who they are i think we oftentimes prioritize how they make us feel or we idealize them to the point where they're not realistically human yeah well and i mean think about this you know so many people get divorced once they quote, fall out of love. And that, I mean, even that language seems to almost like excuse one from responsibility. We don't have a strong sense of commitment uh, in terms of I am pledging my life to you in some sort of way and I'm going to live, I'm going to stand with you forever. Yeah. And frankly, that's not, that does not have to stay within just marriage. Yeah. Um, Sex definitely is supposed to stay within marriage for sure. Um, and there's other things that I think go within marriage. And I think, frankly, um, a good marriage is also a good friendship. Yeah. Um, but I tend to think that this I, this deep abiding love um, that continues on and says, I'm going to stick with you, um, come hell or high water, hmm. is something that's not meant for just to be completely embodied only in one person. Yeah. Well, intimacy is not restrained or not. Uh, confide it or conf- what's the word not imprisoned to one person it's I mean if you can't have intimate conversations with people that can help you you're not going to survive as a human being because everything gets wrapped up in one person and say that person divorces you or mm-hmm. passes away or go, even goes on a trip for a week sure it does yeah. all those sorts of things to you and so intimacy is a way of breaking down and being vulnerable with another person for the purpose of transformation and discipleship uh, it is a is a big part of the church is is witness with inner witness to one to uh, to the to to different people. And there's Bible verses that compare you know the love of God to a marriage, sure. But guess mm-hmm. what? There's also lots of passages on um, friendship. Yep. Um, John, 
mm-hmm. is notorious for that. Yep. I don't um, call you servants. I call you friends. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, yeah, it, you, you're my friends if you do what I yeah. command and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I guess the ultimate paradigm, too, of um, love and friendship in the Bible is giving one's, uh, one's life for your friends. Yeah, no greater love. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's love. Yeah. And, of course, you know, in the Bible, it also talks about laying down your life for enemies. Um, but, again, mm-hmm. in I would say in a holistic um, picture, that means it's you kind of see within an enemy the, the possibility that they can join this family of God. And so mm-hmm. I think that's part of it, too, where we actually have this new vision of um, who our intimate acquaintances are and can be that we didn't have before, perhaps. Well, it also assumes that people... Even enemies can be agents or objects of rectification and mm-hmm. reconciliation, and that and by you know may not maybe not as friends, but as as people worthy of extending God's favor and kindness to. Yeah. And so it removes kind of the uh, the us versus them mentality, but also the idea that I must destroy this person in order to love them. Yeah, but I think in the I think in the New Testament too, it's kind of this um, vision also of you, you this person could end up becoming like your family in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's always that possibility that's just around the corner. Yeah. And I think, um, and goes back to intimacy and friendship. It's kind of this understanding. It's this familial identity that gets expanded um, beyond just simply, um, maybe even a way that's stronger than blood in some cases. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a reason Paul uses Adelphoi for, for the people he writes to, brothers and sisters. You don't call people that aren't blood family, but Paul does. And so it's a way of kind of communicating the intimacy and the transcendent kinship yeah. uh, of the New Testament ecclesia, the, the people of God, where there is no slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, male yeah. and female. And so it's a way of kind of, what Paul does is just, you, you don't do this if you're if you're uh, seeking to have a excluded community of particular people. It's, a, it's an inclusive, wide-ranging mentality that Paul has, I think. Yeah. All right, so well, myth so did two. We, wait, myth- did we answer sexual love and marriage is the highest form of love? So I would say that we answered... Uh, definitely it is not. And I think we answered to a good degree. I think so. All right. So you want to do number two? Yeah. Myth two, men and women cannot be just friends, just friends. And uh, sex kind of is this thing. It's kind of this parasitic thing that kind of lingers in the background. Uh, Hence deep equals. Yeah. Basically (laughs) you cannot be, um, I think some people call this an emotional affair. So if you have a close friendship, with a person of the opposite sex that they called an emotional affair mm-hmm. because in their heads, you know, from myth number one, yeah. um, you only have that deep connection with your spouse. Yep. You're only, you're only supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, frankly, um, I am not sexually attracted to every man I see and every person I'm close to. Yeah. Me neither. You know, and frankly, um, even if you are, who cares? Yeah, like you I, you're, not an, you're not an adult. You can't just say, you know what, I can not act on how I feel about this. I can separate that feeling from it or talk to someone about it. Hence yeah. friendship. Oh, Barkley just ran out. Hi, bud. Oh, he's running back in. Never mind. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, he just ran out. But yeah, like it's just if you feel sexual attraction for some of the opposite sex that you're developing a friendship with, um, I would say, you know, deal with it. Um, maybe even get a pastor or confident involved. Mm-hmm. And you're processing. And I, I mean, really, I don't think it has to be because the thing is, sexual attraction and attraction in general is not this like 
thing that has this otherworldly power that will force you to act in ways that you just have no control over. Well, it's not deterministic. Oh, yeah. I feel this way. Therefore, oh, God, I gotta sleep Oops. with this person. You know, yeah. it's like, no, that's not how it works. You have, you have the free will in my, in my eyes to resist these impulses. We do it all the time. I resist the, the desire to curse at people in LA traffic. <laughs> I don't always resist the urge, but in principle, I have the freedom to do so. And I often should. So, Oh, Hey cat just grabbed me out. Right. Never mind. Uh, but yeah, and it's kind of this idea that men and women are so uh, pent up bottles of testosterone and estrogen that they can't just be like friends or even in the same room with each other. Yeah, and, and it's a really like, warped understanding. And you go back to the Billy Graham rule that for some reason men and women, you know, you can't be alone with a woman because she might not be able to resist, you know, your pastoraliness or that's whatever. That's objectification, it is. Yeah, it is. by the way. Um, yeah. That's. You turn someone into something that they're not, an object of your affections or whatever it is. Well, you, you reduce her agency to say no to what she desires, assuming she desires this, which I, I, I frankly doubt in a lot of ways. But it assumes that she's not virtuous. She's uh, incapable of uh, exercising restraint. Assu- well, or that you are. Or even. that you are. Even. Like, yeah. frankly, though, it's, it's, a, it's a form of dehumanization yeah. um, where the person is no longer a person. Hmm. Um, they are an object of your desire, you know, hence it's perfectly okay if you start, I don't know, excluding them, even if, you know, you are, say, I don't know, a pastor at a church and this is someone that maybe needs your help, or yeah. maybe this is a young intern that needs to, um, you need to show the ropes to, or maybe, you know, you are working under a woman and you're mm-hmm. horribly bitter because they're in charge of you or oh whatever my gosh, it should be. shamefulness. Oh my gosh. But, you know, overall, um, it's this, again, this understanding that it can never, you can never just have a friendship. There just always has to be something more. There's and always this testosterone or estrogen bottle that's going to force you. It's going to always bubble to the surface. It's like, no, that's not how this works. Well, and that's frankly not how, yeah. I mean, I would say even necessarily hormones work. Yeah, um, well, yeah. So it's just kind of one of those things where, Neither Nick or I are, we have lots, I mean, I have very close friends that are guys yeah. and, you know, it's just not an issue. Yeah. And frankly, it just hasn't been. And it's been years. Yeah, it's been years. Yeah. So it's just one of those things where. There, there's an element of trust, I think, that goes into a relationship where you yeah. can where you can look at another person and be like, I know this isn't going to happen because one, I trust you. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of full stop. I trust you. Yeah. And if something does happen, I know you'd tell me. And so it's just one of those things I kind of just chuckle at. It's like, no, why why would I be why would I be offended that my wife's going out to grab a drink with a buddy of hers, you know, talk about theology? That sounds pretty awesome. I wish I could go. I've been asked before, so um and it's usually by um dudes that I'm maybe we're talking theology and like, you know, they ask me to coffee or something, um, and it just kind of happens naturally. Because, again, this is just the field I'm in. And then they realize, oh, wait, woman, coffee. Wait, will your husband be okay? I'm like, I'm like yeah, he, he doesn't care. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, I, I've grabbed beers with, like, gal friends of mine that yeah. are seminary nerds, and we've talked everything. And it's just one of those things where, assume <laughs> it feels dumb to say, assume the best of yourself. And, and the other person. And the yeah. other person. Don't assume that this person is out to do these things and don't just treat that treat them with the same virtue you believe you have. You know, it's It's also saying like that you and the other person are more than sex. Yeah. Um 
And frankly, some things transcend gender. Mm-hmm. Um, some things, I mean, some things don't. I mean, I, I would say that my relationship with um, each person is different. Um, men and women are not the same. But I mean, frankly, I've had very close, again, friendships with um, all of them. And I, I frankly just can't imagine that changing. I, I'm thinking if, let's say one of them did end up falling in love with me, uh, that would number one be awkward because I very awkward. Yeah. Um, see them not like that. But I, I think we would just talk about it, you know, and yeah. it would be okay. I wouldn't say, oh, no we need to like pump the brakes or anything. I mean, unless they needed some time. Um, and my but... first thought, if that came up, I, I'd be like, well, okay. Doesn't mean you stop being friends with them. In fact, it might yeah. be really bad if you stop being friends. And maybe it would be better if you sorted through it together as adults, as adults and <laughs> as just adults. came out on the other end. Yeah. Um, and it's so. like, yeah, it just assume that this person has the free will to say no to what they want. I mean, we do it all the time. Yes. We do this all the time with one another. And even in marriage, you do it all the time. Yeah. And so, and frankly, too, here's the other thing I think people get. And actually, David was telling we were talking about this. Mm-hmm. Um, him and I. Uh, he says oftentimes that people mistake attraction, personal attraction for or similarity for sexual attraction. Hmm. And sometimes, I mean, you can be attracted to people in general. There's just that spark and yeah. this likeness or dissimilarity that just you're like. That's a very interesting person. Yeah. I like you, random person. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you end up talking and then you just, like, keep going and, you know, you just want to see each other all the time. That's not always romantic. And, frankly, I mean, it happens when even, like, even if you're, um, like, I'm not, I mean, I have that with, I would say, women, too. Mm -hmm. Men and women. um, Without the sexual feelings, per se. Um, but I mean, I keep saying without sexual feelings cause I kind of have to, um, but I mean, even if those are present, I don't think that's necessarily a issue. No. And it, it's when we treat sex as this kind of parasitic, like worm that's mm. attached to your neck, that's always kind <laughs> of like present in this conversation that we have with different people of this, of the opposite sex. It's going to be something where it will... It's one of those things where if you keep thinking about it and you keep kind of gestating on this, it's going to manifest in some sense. And it might just be worthwhile to everyone to pump the brakes and say, okay, hold on. Am I unable to be a reasonable Christian adult here? You know, uh, is she or he unable to act a certain way? And I think at the end of the day, you and I would both say, you have the free freedom that you know you should, and you have the moral obligation to act like a, an adult in Christ, however that looks. And so you're not permitted to wield this thing against other people because one, that might just be your problem, and you don't get to force uh, them into a category of unvirtue or mm. or sluttiness or all these sorts of things. Or you just treat them as here. I've seen this too. Um, I, I, I'm usually honestly in this whole equation, women are usually the ones that lose out. Yep, exactly. Um, I mean. Really, in the big picture, they both do because there's not equal thriving and hence, you know, the whole thing um, kind of isn't as ideal. And I mean structurally. So, I mean economically even. Hmm. Um, Without women participating fully in leadership in other areas um, alongside men, things just don't work ideally. And so there's not more to go around. Mm -hmm. Um, So that out of the way, I would say in the small micro picture women are usually the ones that lose out so i i swear i mean it's happened like so often 
where I'll be excluded from, and this isn't the norm, but it happens regularly enough. Let's put it this way. Um, I'll be excluded from random conversations I could have been involved in. Um, it's you'll, I'll get the door slam where, you know, maybe there's a connection with someone and then all of a sudden they're ignoring me, you know, yeah. for whatever. It's like, oh, great. You know, it's because I'm a woman and I'm threatening and you're I'm attracted. Smart and, yeah. You know, hence, you know, now it's my problem that you're attracted to me sexually. I get it. You can't be an adult about this. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah it happens like... Frequently enough to be annoying. Um, and frankly, it's, um, I would say, destructive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm remembering even, I think I may have told this story before. Um, I was wanting to talk, I, I, I was really into the biblical canon, and there was another dude that was too, and I naturally started just chatting with him about it. And sure enough, um, one thing led to another, and someone was insinuating that I was crushing on him. Even though, <gasps> I know, yeah. stupid. Um, this person was in their 60s, by the way. But, um, <laughs> uh, I mean, no, sorry. The person that was accusing me of crushing on this dude was in his 60s. Ah, okay, that makes it a little more so, weird. So, um, and it was actually awkward, because the guy that I was talking to was actually maybe seven or six years younger than I was. I don't remember. Oakley doakley. Um, So it was just very weird. Um, but basically... Um, it made everyone uncomfortable, and so I'm the one that got the boot. You know? And fine, went somewhere else. I mean, usually it's not a problem because you just go somewhere else and, you know, let people that are that way be that way. But yeah. um, all this to say, we're increasingly moving towards a more egalitarian society, period. Um, and guess what? You're going to have, whether you like it or not, whether you feel comfortable or not, you're going to have to work with women. Yep. And guess what? There is not just sex, you know. I mean, there's not always sex looming in the corner, unless you make it looming in the corner all the time. And And I think some of this is brainwashing, honestly, where we've been told over and over again, there's a woman, you might be sexually attracted, run, you've got to take all these precautions. Oh, no, you know, we've kind of Because of her. Because of her. It's not because of you and your desires and your weirdness. It's it's because of her. Seriously, because of her. Only because of her. And she's like, what? And even, yeah, people think they're doing a virtuous thing by excluding women, I think, this way. And it's not virtuous. Um, And I think some of it is recognizing the scripts that you were told um, growing up. And especially, I think, again, I think in the evangelical world, we're preoccupied with sex, ironically enough, um, in that we're always paranoid about male-female relationships when we just really don't, I think, need to be. Um, And what we do need... To be as moral and chaste human beings, and we've got we've got sexual sins galore, and that's part of the problem. But again, I think it doesn't make things any easier when we start having this alarmist attitude that tries to push things from the far reaches of our mind, rather than actually sorting through our own moral character and our own maybe lack of of depth or maturity. Yeah, and yeah. maturity. Yeah, and so yes. Uh, myth number two answered and dealt with. Men and women can um, be friends, and it's never, um, it's not necessarily sex is always looming no. in the far reaches of your mind, unless you make it. Yep. Myth three, quote, to be fulfilled or fully human, one must have a sexual relationship. Or be married. Or be married. Uh, 
Jesus wasn't married and probably never had sex. I know. Okay, game over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Paul, I mean, there's maybe some evidence Paul may have had a marriage at one point. I don't think so. Paul was never married and we don't have any evidence that he went out and had sex. As a Jew, he was probably pretty conservative. Well, I mean, a lot of people got married back then, but... Yep, and they got married young, too. Yeah, Very so, young. you know, I think it just, again, <laughs> it's like, how do you even, like, tackle this? But even... Yeah. Maybe on an emotional level, I think people deep down just really believe that they won't be, they won't find that happiness and fulfillment unless they're in that kind of relationship. And I think it's, again, that I think we have a lot of fragmented human beings that are um, detached and isolated, and they're just craving that intimacy and even physical touch that they're just not getting otherwise, perhaps. I also wonder if this is a distinctly American evangelical problem. Yes, uh, let's say remove, not the influence of Western culture, but remove that, this sort of question, right? Yeah. And you, you know, you put it entirely in the U.S. It's not been exported. It's not like Coca-Cola or anything. <laughs> you go to, I don't know, the Mediterranean, you go to Africa, you go to Indonesia, you go to these places. Let's say they- Will it be the same? Yeah, will it be probably the same? Not. Will they have these sorts of questions or insights? And my guess is probably not. And so, I mean, if you tie this to consumeristic culture and greed where everything's kind of shoved in your face- it sounds like this is essentially, it's the water evangelicalism has been drinking for a while. Yeah. That, oh my gosh, God must not love me if I'm single. Or, oh my gosh, God uh, wants me to get married so I can, you know, get boinked every night. You know, these sorts of things. Well, and it's more than that. I mean, I think people really do crave intimacy and connection. And they just don't know how to have that, I think, in any other context. And again, it's not necessarily an absolute either. I mean, I think... I think most of I think most of you listening and I think most people have more gradations of this thinking. It's not always so sharp. Hmm. Um, I mean, a lot of us do have close friendships, but let, let's yeah. put it this way: um, Are we thinking in terms of um, I now need? Let's say I, I have a new love interest. You know, beat it, Sam. You know, yeah. it, is it kind of more um, because I have this love interest? It takes priority over my other friendship commitments um and even oh wait i'm gonna get married so for instance a lot of times when people get married um it's natural for friends to feel almost a little bit um sad thinking that they might actually lose their friend in a meaningful way because even Mm. the language of my husband is my best friend yeah and i always found that language difficult overall because i would say i really have several best friends personally yeah yeah yeah. um and again these are people i would you know i would die for i would i just it would be just devastating to think of going being anywhere you know for long periods of time without them if they died or um it's just difficult to imagine but to, to think of it that way um that me getting married to nick for instance would mean i don't suddenly have time for my friends yeah, as if I become literally the center of your world and only you can hang out with me and only I get to hang out and with you. And actually, what? people have asked um, before, even um, gal friends, just not making sure not to encroach on anything. I'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, we could do that after. Yeah. Well, you know, don't you have to go home to your husband? I'm like, eh, he's, he's cool. He's yeah. fine. He'll, he'll be asleep on also, the couch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of also, um, I mean, we love having friends over um Mm -hmm. we just don't view people as impositions into our relationship no they get to be included in our relationship what are you talking about yeah Mm -hmm. and i mean there's there's things that you know i would like to just do with nick there's things i would like to do just do with sarah um 
and there's things I'd like to do with, you know, everyone. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, so I, I would just like say, you know, just reflect on what's the mentality here again. Is it, I have this love interest, hence I have to pro- sacrifice other things for this one love interest. Right. And also think too, if you look at Jesus in the Gospels, you know, the Synoptic Gospels, you look at how he engages with women, how he talks with women, how he treats women, very egalitarian, no other Jewish man was probably like this in the ancient world, or at least at that time period. But the fact that he took the time and engaged with women in a way that was scandalous to his peers. and He kind of treats them like peers, interestingly yeah. enough, and this is God. <laughs> yeah. This is God incarnate, this is God in the flesh. And he doesn't throw women away. He doesn't pull a Billy Graham rule. He doesn't put the disciples between them and go, okay, shout over over the disciples so I can hear you. He's so, alone with the woman at the well. Alone with the woman at the well. Uh, a woman that of a suspect character. Yep. yep. Uh, woman touched him, you know, an act yep. of incredible faith. If I just touched the hem of his cloak and he and she was healed. And he smi- gives her that kind of smile, the Jesus smile, as we might say. Uh, he protects a woman in the uh, Johannine uh, pericope of uh, uh, John 8, 7 and 8. Where, you know, I don't condemn you, but go and no longer be sinning. And all these sorts of things. And you kind of go, this is a man. This is the the one who fully embodied what it means to be human and God at the same time. Uh, this is the man we worship. This is someone we, we want to be like and who we are in. And this man was never married. This man was fully human in every conceivable mm-hmm. sense except without sin. And by the way, yep. I'll bet he had um, sexual urges just like everyone else. I believe else. so. I absolutely believe that. If if he's like us in every way, then that means and he probably And humans are sexual thought. creatures. Yep. Like, and again, sexual attraction or sexual urges does not equal evil. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that the distinction is he's he's flesh, he's sarks, he's soma, he's all these things. But he was without sin or he didn't know sin. And that puts a distinction. And it gives us, I think, a lot of hope for people who do struggle, who do have desires, who feel things, who... Uh, all these sorts of, you know, we are complex beings. And Jesus stepped into that entirely and was not afraid to do so, and yet was without sin and was without any, um, who was incredibly vulnerable with people as well, you know, having incredible conversations with men and women alone sometimes. And I, I think we do a great disservice to what it means to be human if we kind of section Jesus off from our anthropology and we kind of look at Jesus as, well, Jesus can do that because he's gone. I'm like, no, Jesus did it because he's human. It, he was like us. We're we're called to be like him. Sometimes that means giving up your desires and your and all these sorts of things, but not also forgetting the fact that. But giving up also means you gain, frankly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can't like I don't know sleep with the random person you're attracted to, um, yeah. which is I think kind of a funny concept if you really think about it. Yeah. Um But yeah, I mean you can gain so much more, you know, mm-hmm. just getting your thought life under control. Yeah. And and training yourself and being discipled and seeking spiritual formation in community and not just by yourself. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we're called to live by the power of the spirit uh through the work of Christ to the glory of God. And this whole thing of of me and my desires and I'm going to live this way. It's like, no, you don't get to live that way, and you can do so because Jesus did, because Paul didn't. We don't have any record of a lot of the apostles even being married and a lot of the women in the early church weren't married, probably. Phoebe is not mentioned as being uh, as being married either. And she did incredible things for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. We, we have Romans because of her, probably. And so uh, to, to view sex as being fully human or somehow being uh, making most you fulfilled. most fulfilled or making you the best Christian you can be, it's not necessarily the case. In fact, your service for the kingdom might be 
enhanced because of your singleness, because you can speak into areas of people's lives that I can't speak into as a married pastor. And that's why I hate the idea of having a singles pastor or a marriage pastor or something like that, because as if a single person can't speak into the marriage of another, Mm. or that a married pastor can't speak into the life of a a single person. Mm. And it's like, guys, if we're in this boat together, if Christ is our example of all these sorts of things, of kindness, of vulnerability, of, of sinlessness, and the person we're supposed to be like, then we don't have the, the privilege of throwing that away and being like, oh no, sex and marriage are what makes me human. It's like, no, Jesus showed you what it's like to be fully human. I think too, a lot of, um, and again, we already know women get discriminated against mm-hmm. big time when yep. it comes to pastoral ministry. Yep. Um, but oftentimes, uh, single men and women, of course, oh, but gosh, get yeah. discriminated against too. Mm-hmm. Um, they think they're not mature enough, um, or this or that enough. Because or they must they have some have sin wife. in their life. They must have some sin in their life that's keeping them single. Uh, I don't even think it's about sin per se. I think it's they people again. It's that worship of the couple. Yeah, you know, or free labor from the uh, spouse. That's well, right. yeah, that happens too. Which, by the way, you know, this church is not like, first Baptist church. Making demands has or not pulled anything like that. No, they are wonderful. I am fully welcome to um, participate in any way I want. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I think they're going to ordain me and you. Yep, you and I both. I ask that you and I both be ordained together uh, whenever we well, go through the ordination process. I think it might be well. Maybe we shouldn't discuss it now. Maybe we should. I think you should um, get ordained first, just, you know, so we could have... I just don't want to, like, steal the limelight. I don't care about that. If I'm going we'll to both be, be ordained somehow. Yes. There we go. Yeah, I don't care about the limelight. But, but yeah. anyway, back to the... So, I think this understanding that, again, to be truly fulfilled as an individual, only in the context of being married, and kind of like you have to desperately you know, clutch at, you know, this potential spouse even. Otherwise, you'll be alone forever, which in part might be because symptomatic of the larger cultural context itself, where yeah. oftentimes that is the case. Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I mean, maybe maybe not. I mean, I found lots of close relationships. Um, but I, I think it gets people to make desperate moves, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. And you and I talked about this a little bit, even after uh marriage like if i said or if you suddenly started being like allison you have to choose it's either me or sarah or me or david i'd be like what are you talking about that's really unethical to do yeah um maybe you maybe we can try to sort this out but i'm not gonna like abandon sarah who i've been friends with since first grade or david you know since college just because you know suddenly you're Getting suddenly, <laughs> whatever it is. Suddenly, I don't know. I'm afflicted with a case of butt hurtness. Yeah, it's just no. Yeah. So, or like even I think sometimes um, people get into sinful activity or other mm-hmm. bad things because they're afraid that they're going to lose, or even compromising their, um, I'd say their own identity to mm. sacrifice to this altar of this other person and this relationship and yeah. this end of loneliness. Um, and again, I think this idea of, um, men and women, I think in part it's, it's being, we need each other. Um, man was not made (laughs) to be alone. Um, women and men need each other. And I think that's more, I think, fully realized within a broader community than just one romantic relationship. And that doesn't give preferential or privileged treatment to a married guy or gal. 
because I've seen so many of my single guy friends and my single girlfriends be excluded from ministry mm-hmm. and full participation in the church just because they don't have the added benefit of the tax write-off of a spouse and the free labor that the church would like from that spouse. And so it's one of those things I just kind of look at and go, if we're in a community, that means we're stuck together. That means we have to live together. That means we have to love one another. And you don't have the privilege of sectioning off people just because they're not married. Maybe they can't get married. Maybe they have issues. All these maybe they don't of, want to. Yeah, maybe they're not called to marriage. And it's like, and it's like, and this is something I noticed with my single friends who are still single. People treat them at church like there's something wrong with them. Like, mm-hmm. well, why aren't you married? And I'm like, maybe they, one, maybe they haven't found the right person. But two, why is them not being married a symptom of sin or a symptom of narcissism or a symptom of all these usually sorts of things. it's not phrased in terms of sin. No, it's, it's not. usually not phrased, phrased that way. more in terms of there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong here. Uh, Have maybe you joined you're just our not... college group or our, sing- yeah. or our singles group to meet someone? The, the church yeah. becomes like a hookup culture at that point. It's like, really? Like, I mean, it's not against like people dating at church. That's totally cool. And a lot of single yeah. people do want to get married, frankly, and they do yeah. want to meet someone. And that's mm-hmm. fine. And yeah, it's just this overemphasis is more of what we're speaking to rather than saying, I mean, cause I've set up, you know, friends of mine, sometimes they haven't turned out so well. Um, <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's more of an absolutist, like if you're single, there's something wrong with you. And that frankly, I would say probably just compounds the isolation that, yep this person's um, experiencing. And frankly, a lot of people are lonely in marriage, you know? Oh yeah. I, Surprise. I, yeah. You get married. It doesn't end your, I don't know, horrible hole in your heart. If you had one to begin with, it doesn't solve all your problems magically. I mean, I know mar- I've seen marriages and you and I've talked about mm. these where people get married to solve their problems and discover the problem gets worse because they can't solve it. Marriage didn't solve it. And now they're after stuck. After the in- honey, quote, honeymoon yeah, period. After, after all these sorts of things. And now they realize I'm stuck with a person who didn't fix me. And now the problem just gets worse and worse and worse because one, they don't talk about it and all these sorts of mm-hmm. things. The church isn't helping and they begin, they've been sold to, and I'm not talking down on marriage. I love marriage. I'm, I'm absolutely blessed. Yeah, to be we are fans. Too. I am fans like of marriage. It. Yes. Beyond the tax break. It's wonderful. I, I, I couldn't hey. imagine. I couldn't imagine being simple. Stop um, mentioning the tax, the, the tax break, uh, the Barkley break, the Barkley tax. <laughs> Wait, break. do we actually, I, I don't even know that it's get that like helpful being married. No, not in California. For taxes. Not in I California. think it's more of like a liability. But anyway, in California, it's awful. But suffice to say, marriage is wonderful. Marriage is godly. Marriage is just epic. But marriage we'll is talk not. talk about it another time. Yeah. Marriage is not the end of the world. It's not the it's end not, or beginning end or beginning of the world. And <laughs> I, I think churches that seek only to hire single men or women. And if they're hiring, they should be hiring single women too, because it's Pentecost Sunday, the spirit on all, both men and women. And I, I think a lot of churches, uh, because their senior pastor is this or because this, or because, of, and they bought into the myth of like, we've talked about, you're only a fully human person if you're married. And it's like, no, because Jesus wasn't married. You have a deficient Christology. You need to check yourself. <laughs> get on board with Nicaea and Chalcedon and all these sorts of things. Yeah, well, and I mean, frankly, like the church for a good portion of... <laughs> yeah, look yeah. at a lot of the church fathers. It doesn't seem like a lot of them were married. I mean, a lot of the people that suffered most uh, probably yeah. weren't married. You know, people used to like run away to monasteries and nunneries so that they could be free of marriage responsibilities. Everyone yeah. zeroes in the fact that, oh my gosh, you can't have sex. Oh my gosh, you know, it's a horrible, like, fate. It's but, the devil's pathway. You know, ah. and of course there's always those stories of those individuals, you know, mm-hmm. that missed out and just struggled. But frankly, a lot of people felt enriched there. A lot of um, people would go out of their way to enter those places. 
Yeah. And frankly, they had a whole, most of them had whole communities and close knit relationships and um, they found their growth in that context. Um, and again, you don't, I'm not saying bring back the monasteries, you know, maybe we should a bit, but you know, maybe there's something to it where we've just, because of our emphasis, um, placed too much of a burden on, I think a single, a single friendship, you know, a single romantic friendship, uh, over and against all these other ones. And I, I just think we need a broader picture. And I think at the end of the day too, there, there's a sense in which that singleness is something that a lot of people are trying to fix as if it's, it's, it's a parasite or it's a problem or it's, it's a sin or whatever they want to say it is. But at the end of the day, single people, whether they're gay or straight or whether they have all these sorts of issues or whether they're completely normal and they just haven't found someone at the end of the day, these people are in our churches and they need to be involved in community. So as a way to solve this myth, become friends with single people. Don't tokenize them as your, I got a single friend at work. I got a single friend at church. View these people as people that like everyone else needs intimacy. They need friendship. They need, uh, feels really weird saying that it feels really, I shouldn't have to say this, but maybe it just means treating people like they're human and being friends with them and loving them for who they are. And if they happen to get married or they stay single or however all this works. But I mean, at the end of the day, it is lonely in marriage and it's also lonely being single. So treat other people like you want to be treated and be friends with people. Yeah. I mean, it's part of being human. You're going to feel lonely sometimes. Yeah. In an internet age, you will often sometimes feel lonely. Shock of shocks, you know? Mm. And I think a lot of it is just stop tokenizing people as, oh, I got a single friend. I got to find, I got to fix this person. I got to hook them up. Maybe that's something they want, but that only can happen if you're talking with them and you know them and you seek their best interest in accompaniment with their own desires and wishes. Yeah. And something to add too, um, you don't have to bring your spouse everywhere to no. be in company with, you know, various people. Um, I, I like having Nick around and Nick and I are very much joined at the hip in a lot of things and mm-hmm. go everywhere, almost everywhere together. Um, sometimes we go, I don't know, but sometimes like, sometimes you want to just have fun with your individual friends or. Yeah. Sometimes I need to hang out with my boys and smoke a cigar. That's, I mean, well, of I, course, his guy friends are also mine, so this is true. And that gets into awkward territory. Well, y'all need to get Allison to smoke like, a cigar. Your boys, excuse me. Well, if you smoked a cigar, you'd be welcome to hang out. Well, with okay, us. yeah, I don't like cigars, so I do Yet. avoid Yet. the cigars. You will love cigars. I will fix this problem. You mm. will love cigars. No, I won't. I don't <laughs> smoke. Thanks. Yeah. No. Say no to smoking. <laughs> Say no oh. to having fun and wonderful stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's... So, wrapping all this up, we've gone through the three myths, we've gone through our books, we've gone through everything. Uh, What are final words you want to give to the church concerning any of these? The people that are listening and all that. Uh, Just seek out friendships and seek out friendships that you can be close with someone. I mean, don't be weird about it, like, because you never know what... You never know what friendship's going to be enduring and which one isn't. But if you start developing a friendship with someone and you become close to someone, you've become vulnerable and you've trusted them with some things. Um, I would say don't be quick to run away from it and Hmm. don't be quick to um, shut it down. And I would say also um, be willing to put yourself on the line for them oftentimes. Mm. And this can be uncomfortable sometimes. And 
be a loyal friend. Um, and it's always tricky because these things don't just, there's not always a, there's not really a clear formula you can give um, on who becomes your good friend and who doesn't. Right. Um, I generally make close friends almost everywhere I go um, and they last for a while. But I never quite know who's going to be that. It's just that you end up spending more time with that person. Um, you appreciate their company uh, more than others. And you have all these um, common or complementary interests. Yeah. Um, sometimes you just fascinate each other. Um, but for whatever reason, you just end up spending more time together. And then maybe you hit some roadblocks and you sort through things. And then you come back. You know, all, all I'm saying is give it a chance. And... Stick, stick with it if you can. Yeah, and, and Pastor Sean, who's a female pastor whom I surrender, who's awesome, uh, she gave me some really helpful words of advice on this. And she told me, find people, as a pastor, so it's pastoral advice, but I think it's applicable. Find people that will correct you, smack yes. you upside the head, who love on you, who will listen to you, and people that you want to listen to. Um and treat them as you want to be treated because someday they're going to have problems and they're going to need to just mm -hmm. vent on you. And there are going to be days where you just need to vent on them. And while it's, she was speaking in the context of pastor, pastoral relationships, you know, the, the Methodist across the street, the Presbyterian across the street from where I work. Um, but it applies to others, too. If you think about it in terms of friendship. Yeah, um, think ethics, yeah, too. Think ethics and think uh, ecclesia and body and the church. Not as, just as people that are going to flatter you all the time. Exactly. People that will call you to the carpet for your sin mm -hmm. or your stupidity, or they can be corrected themselves because they're yes. wrong. Yes, yeah. And so, as as in a good marriage, I mean, there's, there's some things that tra ethics tra aren't aren't uh, contingent upon marriage because mutual reciprocity or submission to one another or yielding with one another, not only about marriage sometimes, guys. And so I think a lot of it, and so what she told me is find people that you want to talk to and that can talk to you about whatever you're going through. And that can, I think, apply very strongly to a friendship uh, between whether it's between two guys or two gals or uh, a guy and a gal or whatever you want to talk about. And I, I think at the end of the day, end of the day, you need to have people in your life, whether single or married or whoever, that will call you to account for what you've done or encourage you and empower you to seek further uh, advice and, and counsel. And at the end of it, you need to be in Christ and in a body of believers that calls you to the life of, of the spirit. And of course, this is a good Pentecost you know, day. It's the life of the spirit that ultimately gives life to us. Yeah. And you know what? I, I just realized this as Nick um, was saying that um, Ephesians five, um, remember that we covered oh, that's this the one before. We have to submit to me, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, where it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Oh yeah. Um, verse 21, that section is concluding um, a whole section that's given to the entire church mm -hmm. and introducing the male um, female relationship in a context of a marriage. Yep. So interestingly, it applies to both. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm going to just read the section that's more inclusive. Yeah. So think about this, um, men and women in general, um, in terms of your relationships with one another in the church and as friends. Hmm. There, uh, five starting at five one. Therefore, imitate God like dearly loved children. Live your life with love, following the example of Christ, who loved us and gave Himself for us. He was a sacrificial offering that smelled sweet to God. Sexual immorality and any kind of impurity or greed shouldn't even be mentioned among you, which is right for holy persons. Obscene language, silly talk, or vulgar jokes aren't acceptable for believers. Instead, there shall be thanksgiving. 
Because you know for sure that persons who are sexually immoral, impure, or greedy, which happens when things become gods, these persons won't inherit the kingdom of Christ and God. And then it goes on and on, um, and, you know, ex exposing things in the light, um, being filled with the Spirit, stuff like that. Um, and then, again, it ends at um, with verse 21, which is, and submit to each other out of respect for Christ. So that's our call, you know, to live in community with each other. And it's the same call that um, husband and wife are called to. Yep. Because it's about loving God and living out our telos. <laughs> it's, it's about imitating Christ, who, yeah. who gave himself up and sacrificed Love himself. God by loving the people around you. Yep. How can you serve the invisible God if you cannot serve the people that are visible all around you? That's not, that'll be